Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Faith here with your welcome toast. It was Judith Olney who said, always serve too much hot fudge sauce on hot fudge sundaes. It makes people overjoyed and puts them in your debt. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. Fun, fun, fun show right now. I can't wait to do this cookbook. You're about to hear how to make microwave mug pudding, how to roast your turkey frozen in the oven, how to make a no-need-to-flip-it omelet by using your waffle iron, and slow cooker lasagna with sausage and arugula. When somebody is this creative with recipes, making them easier and faster, you know, doing hacks, it makes us jump for joy. That would be our guest, Bruce Weinstein, co-author of the Kitchen Shortcut Bible Cookbook. Also on this edition of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, we have a beautiful red wine for you. It's a simple Bordeaux at an affordable price, which is very unusual. My favorite food buddies are here in our studios at the Big G, where we play in Gateway Community College's five culinary education professional kitchens. We're downtown New Haven. Chris Brusberry, Mark Raymond, senior producer Robin Doyen Aiken, and from our public radio sister station, KJZZ in Phoenix, Alex Province. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hey, Hello. Hey, okay, hey, we're going So, Bruce Weinstein is our special guest. And he is co-author with Mark Scarborough of this cookbook I just mentioned, The Kitchen Shortcut Bible. Because this is a book of innovative hacks, I want to get right into it. The wine will come up in our next segment, so don't go anywhere. Bruce, welcome back to the Food Schmooze. Oh, Great to thanks, have you Faith. here. Great to be here. What made you choose this topic? It happens to be one that yeah. I adore, so I'm excited about this book. Mark and I love hacks like you do, and we just love coming up with shortcut ways to do things. The problem with so many hacks you see online is they're fun and they're clever, but they don't get dinner on the table. And we thought, wouldn't it be great to do a cookbook where every recipe used a technique or a trick in a new way? So you were kind of doing a hack, but the hack actually got dinner on the table. Yes, I am a hack fan. And what we mean by that for people who, you know, have sort of missed the whole hack thing, it's just like finding a new way or use for an item or a new way to do something. And so you hear where Bruce and Mark are going with this. I would add a third thing, which is that you want it to taste good. It's not a scientific experiment. Right. Look, I did this right. two minutes faster. <laughs> That's not what it's about, even though... Chris and I once had a race mm -hmm. to peel an apple. I think I used a regular peeler, and you, what did you I, use? I used a drill. <laughs> you used a drill. Okay. Nice. Yeah, that nice. was fun, but well, it didn't, it was it didn't no, one. There was no point to but, it. There was no dinner on the table at the end. I think we had no. two peeled apples. But to your, to your point, Faith, not every recipe in the book actually is faster. Sometimes our hacks made things easier but they took a little longer. But in the end, you saved work and got a better dish out of it. He's talking now especially about 
putting a frozen turkey straight into the oven to roast. That takes longer than the regular turkeys that we make that are defrosted, but there are advantages to it, and we're going to get to that because this is the time of year you want to know about this. (laughs) For sure. Um, Let's not delay any longer, and we're going to do no-hassle bacon and eggs for a crowd. Mm. What's the key to this? So imagine this. You've got a house full of people. They're here for the weekend, and you're going to make a dozen eggs and a pound and a half of bacon. You either are going to do it on top of the stove in frying pans, and everyone's going to wait, and you're going to feed people in in stages, and it's all cold. Or you do it my way. Roast the bacon on the sheet tray in the oven. Then you take it out, and in that hot fat, you crack all the eggs. And to keep them from running together, you put pepper rings, and you crack the eggs into pepper rings. Four minutes later, they're done. Everybody gets to eat together lovely, crispy, flat bacon and roasted oven-fried eggs. Is this And pepper. Everyone gets a little pepper. It's a pretty dish, too. I love that. Okay, so we're in a section that's just titled Breakfast, and you'll see how these hacks play out. And when I come to one that is on our website, I will tell you, and one of those is coming up, including that turkey you can roast (laughs) while it's frozen. So (laughs) making a joke about the apples was on purpose because... Bruce has figured out how to make a no-peel. Now, that's the hassle mm-hmm. with doing mm-hmm. certain apple stuff. This is no-peel roasted applesauce. Roasting brings out flavor. Yeah. That's the key to this. And not only is roasting make the flavor more intense, but you're going to use a tool here that you might not ever have thought to use for applesauce, a potato ricer. It's like a giant garlic press. And so you roast the apples. They're really soft. You could push them right through. Skin on. Skin on. And some of the skin will get pushed through and gives a little texture. The rest stays behind, just like if you were to put a whole garlic clove in a garlic press with the skin on it. The skin stays behind. Throw it out. And what did the roasting do? Oh, the roasting apples concentrates their flavor. It gives it a caramelized edge and makes them absolutely luscious. Oh, yeah. You're going to get more flavor out of yeah, them. Usually Less we water. boil apples. Yeah. And so they're, and they're, it's lovely when you boil them. But when you roast them, uh, it just makes yeah. them super special. Changes the flavor altogether. Everybody knows I am a nut about using the waffle iron that Lori Mack gave me. or all kinds of crazy ways at home. And so I am someone who goes online and watches videos of people using a waffle iron to do crazy things. I hope they're all cooking things. No, they are. They are. are. Um, Although there was that time. Mm -hmm. um, Talk to me about these no-batter, super crunchy waffles. Okay. What do you mean? I wanted waffles one morning, and I really was in a rush, and I didn't have time, and I didn't want to make a batter, and I took some frozen puff pastry that I had in the house, which thaws in like three seconds because it's all fat. And you just put the sheet of frozen puff pastry in the waffle iron and close it. (gasps) And you end up with the crunchiest, flakiest most luscious, crispy waffle that's... Does it puff a little? A very little, but what's so great about it is if you're like me, the only part of the waffle I want is the crunchy outside. Right. So this is like all crust. And a little sprinkling of powdered sugar. Oh, or or just dip them into a nice... I'll I'll like take the bottle of maple syrup and just dip right in there. Oh, yeah. That's such a good idea. So Mm -hmm. can you use any of the frozen pastries? Any puff pastry. If you want to get the super fancy kind that's all butter, go for it. If you want to use the stuff in the supermarket... Go for that. And even if it's not puff pastry, you could use another kind of dough. You could use pie dough. 
Sure. Yeah. You could could like you use like pizza dough? Pizza dough is going to be a little Thicker. bready. It's a little bready. We have great uses for pizza dough in the book, and I didn't try it in the waffle iron because it was going to be too bready, but let me tell you, pizza dough makes the most amazing dumplings to put in soup, stews, or even on chili. See? See? This is it. <laughs> you see, where, you see <laughs> where we like this? Okay. The gang and I are with Bruce Weinstein, who is co-author of The Kitchen Shortcut Bible, about 200 recipes or so to make real food real fast. And this is filled with hacks, meaning unusual uses for equipment that you already have, ways to cook things that are either easier or faster, and as we said with the puff pastry, more delicious <laughs> than anything you might have thought of. So we have on our website right now from the cookbook, that's foodschmooze.org, the no-flip omelet. For me, that is one of the trickiest things about an omelet is getting it right to the point and cook just enough so that when I flip it over, and then I'm worrying, is the inside going to cook appropriately? The whole thing that happens with omelets. This is a no-flip omelet. Once again, I went back to, I think, mine and probably your favorite appliance, the waffle iron. And I thought, well, why can't I just cook it from both sides at once? So I beat the eggs. I poured them into the waffle iron. I laid some herbs and little cheese on top, closed it. It took about a minute. And you got wow. this puffed, beautiful, single-serving omelet that just flipped right out of it, and it right onto the plate. Non-stick. Now, it does look like a waffle. <laughs> that's, like- the, that's the difference. <laughs> But why well, doesn't so why doesn't this is one I've never tried yeah. but I really want to why doesn't the egg mixture run outside the waffle iron because I've formulated the recipe so it's just the right amount of egg uh. to fit in a round waffle iron like this if you were to put an extra egg you'd have a problem and it took a lot of recipe testing to get exactly the right amount because when I first started it I always tried three egg omelets and it was running everywhere and I thought well I could do a bigger waffle iron, but I don't want to assume everybody has those. So assuming everyone has a smaller iron, two eggs work perfectly. But remember, the recipe is called for large eggs. Don't get jumbos or you might have, or even extra larges, or you might have run over. So you have to pay attention to the amounts if you're getting this cookbook. So I'm wondering if you could put a slice of bacon across, like a, a almost cooked through bacon, and you'd have it on a stick almost. <laughs> Run oh, nice. You I could do it. Cut it I in would, half and do two. Faith asked me earlier, could I do bacon in a waffle iron? So here's the thing. If you're only going to get one or two pieces, then yes, you could cook that bacon in the waffle iron first, let that grease stay there for the eggs. Mm-hmm. Then after you pour the eggs in, put the bacon back on top of them and close the top again. Wow. There we go. Mm. It would bake because into the omelet. If you do too much, of course, the grease is going to run all over. And right. so we were but, saying to each other, yeah. put down a cloth or a <laughs> towel. But one or two pieces, you'll be fine. And look for leaner bacon. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we would do that. <laughs> what, what, what? Lean? I heard that. Who wants leaner bacon? What's that? They, they make that? Wow. You mean meaner bacon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, bacon is never mean. You know how we're right. obsessed on the show with making chocolate sandwiches, you know, in a panini thing mm-hmm. or just under the broiler. That's we the do this do all the yep. time. I usually do it on a, a long split baguette. Bruce has figured out a way to do chocolate pockets. And before we start talking about this, Mark, I know your son Daniel is a fan of the Klondike bar and had it got very creative with it. When I saw this recipe at first, I thought, Daniel. If I make is... this for him at home, it's going to be a whole new world. 
He's going to be at the Waffle Iron every day. Yeah, Yeah. me too, actually. This looks incredible. Okay. The trick for this is to look for the potato bread, which they sell in every supermarket, which I adore. It's denser. It's a little sweeter. And then the trick number two, butter the bread. And you butter the side that doesn't get the chocolate. So you butter it, both pieces, turn them upside down, put the chocolate, then sandwich it. So now you have a chocolate sandwich with butter on the outside. Then when you put that in in the Waffle Iron, the butter melts, the bread gets crisp and toasty, the chocolate gets ooey gooey, and you've made like pan au chocolat in five minutes. A scoop of ice cream and you have dessert (laughs) or breakfast. If if you're someone who loves that uh, salty sweet thing, Mm. you could just do a few flakes of sea salt on top of that chocolate. Or you can also use salted butter. You could put strawberries in there. You know, people love Mm. chocolate and fruit. You could do anything Mm -hmm. with this particular... I can't have a chocolate croissant every morning, but I could have this. You definitely (laughs) could. When I'm together with friends and we're sitting around trying to figure out what to make that would be fast, I am forever saying and always getting turned down, let's make turkey burgers because I consider it a personal challenge to make the turkey burger delicious. I've done this where I've diced up our Palacios oh, yes, chorizo and mm. egg and yeah, anything cr- I mean, all kinds of things. This is from Bruce and Mark, turkey burgers that never dry out. And that is the problem with that the turkey. That is the problem because turkey burgers you can't eat rare like beef, right? You have to cook them to 165 degrees according to the USDA, which makes them safe to eat. That also dries them out. So I thought, what can I put in the mixture of ground turkey to make it moist, but that's also flavorful? And I decided if I take some mushrooms and I process them in the food processor with little shallots, I can mix those into the meat. You can't dry them out because mushrooms have so much moisture, but it's also flavor. As you cook them, they almost baste from the inside. So why are you processing the mushrooms with shallots instead of just dicing them fine and throwing them into the meat? Why do you do the extra step of the processor? That's for texture because I didn't want to have little bits of mushrooms. I really wanted to be a smooth mixture going in. The same way you might add breadcrumbs, but disappears, but yet adds the moisture. And also it gives off the moisture more easily and evenly when they're finely processed. Mm, It's such a good idea. And in with the ground turkey, you put some mustard, Mm -hmm. dill, salt, and pepper into that mushroom Mm. mixture. You could put all kinds of things. If you have something that you particularly adore, I'm a a big fan, as Chris is, of Frank's hot sauce. (laughs) You could could do that instead of the mustard, because if you start adding too much, then it gets too wet. So yes, instead of the mustard, you could put the hot sauce, you could put uh, chutney, you could put Worcestershire. And Bruce knows I'm not improving, sitting here improving on his recipes. No. I'm, it's the spirit of this book mm-hmm. is to, this book is so inspiring to me because they have put so much thought into these hacks, these creative, innovative ideas for making things that I just am crazy about it. The other day, I bought a frozen package of cauliflower pizzas because I thought, this sounds interesting. Let me see how this is. Put them under the broiler, added my own toppings to them. They were very crispy little cauliflower patties is is what they were, and it was delicious. However, when something is frozen that way and processed a little bit, there's going to be some extra chemicals in there. And, you know, who wants that? This is such a great idea that you have. This is crisp, no-chop, waffle iron cauliflower patties. And you can use these as a base for your pizza. Every single supermarket, every produce department has cauliflower that is riced, meaning it's been 
ground up to look like little grains of rice. It's a, it's where a, do you get it in the supermarket? You get it in the, in the produce section, in the refrigerator case. It's in bags or in its containers. All you have to do is mix in seasoned breadcrumbs, Parmesan, and eggs. And you have this batter that you could put into the waffle iron. Mm-hmm. And you get these fabulous little crisps that you can make pizza out of. You could put cream cheese and smoked salmon on them. You could just serve a pile of them with wine before dinner instead of olives. He was saying that. That's the best idea. And I'm thinking if it's a little bit (laughs) of a base, like a little pizza base, or even if it's not, I want to put a little anchovy on top of there and some capers. Oh, you put grated Parmigiano Reggiano on there. I do, yeah. That's delicious. They look amazing, too. Like you could break them apart, right? They look absolutely gorgeous if you put them in a little basket. Crispy, Mm -hmm. crispy cauliflower patties. Oh, yeah, little snacks that you could carry in your car with you. Who wouldn't scarf these down? (laughs) My sister sister lives in California. She says she makes these about four times a week now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and they're healthy too, right? Much healthier than like a potato pancake, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, I think we need, you know, we're coming up to a quick break, and that means some kind of cool music, thanks to Robin Doyen Aiken. But on the other side of the break, we are going to start with the wine, and this is where I'm going to bring in Mark Raymond and Alex Province. But quickly, as we go to break, chili black bean burgers. Black beans right out of the can, some pecans, some rolled oats, Frank's hot sauce, ground cumin, dried oregano. This is a whopper of a chili black bean burger. So you would find that in this book, too. We're going to come back, do the wine, and then give you more of these shortcut tips that are so great from the Kitchen Shortcut Bible. And we'll be right back. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. With my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker Alex Province coming to us from Phoenix, Arizona this week. KJZZ is our sister station there. Uh, Mark Raymond, who is one of our wine guys, and our special guest today is Bruce Weinstein, co-author with Mark Scarborough of The Kitchen Shortcut Bible. We'll get back to those innovative ideas in just a minute because we've got a red wine to recommend, and it's a Bordeaux. Those are usually very expensive. Alex brought this to my attention and this one is about $19.20, let's say. We have this posted online, picture of the label. You can just read it to somebody if you want. We thought of this as a kind of end of season for those of you who 
are going to put your grills away, end-of-season steak-on-the-grill kind of wine because it's very, very dry. So the winemaker is it's Chateau Vu Poirier, and that's probably the hardest part is just pronouncing it. And that's old pear tree, for those wondering. So I just poured it into my glass. I'm virtually tasting with you guys. And it has this like beautiful red cherry color. And when I first smell it, I'm getting, it's not exactly fruit-based. It's more serious, like a serious Bordeaux. So this tastes like dark, rich plums. And it's French, so it's bone dry. So you're not getting any sugar. So it has like a rich, savory, complex tannin taste. And that's what's going to pair with protein if you're going to do this on the grill. I love the softness of the tannins in this. And then agreeing with you on the flavor profile, put my nose in there and I'm getting this beautiful blueberry and blackberry and plum. And you get it on the palate and that fruit pops there as well. And then it just becomes really opulent on the palate. It just really kind of explodes a little bit. But with that wonderful little velvety finish that you like to have with a serious dry wine like this. This is a wine when you first open, you pour it in the glass, you taste it, it changes with every sip. For like sure. in, in the beginning, it's like a softer, maybe a little tighter. And then as it opens up, you really start getting all the fruit coming out. It really out. becomes very expressive. Yeah, it's remember, amazing to see that. Remember when there was a debate about this in the wine world, about whether that in fact happened to a wine? Does it open? Is decanting anything? Is it just silliness? But it does. I mean, it and does. I certainly have wine. witnessed it. And it happened to us with this very mm. wine. After a half an hour of sipping, we all looked at each other and said, oh. This is a different wine, yeah. 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 Classically, the Bordeaux historically were really tannic and are designed to be aged forever. And so you'd buy a Bordeaux and you wouldn't be able to drink it for 10 or 20 years. And that was the style of these. Then these Garigis winemakers came around in the 90s and they wanted to make these fruity, available to drink now, approachable style wines. And they picked up these like little chateaux, mostly on the right bank of Bordeaux. And that's where you find these like little winemakers. Like this property is only five acres. And their goal is to make a wine that you can open, still go through that experience like you guys are, which is opening it up now and then watching it progress in your glass. But it's 2015. We didn't wait 10 years to be able to go through this experience. Yeah. And they caused all this like trouble with the winemakers in Bordeaux because everyone got upset with them for not following rules. And now it's this like movement. So it's very different than the classic Bordeaux if people haven't tried it for a and, while. And Alex mentioned the garagiste. That relates to garage. garage. <laughs> so out Such in, a fancy way. Out in Silicon Valley, there are people referred to as the garagiste who have 20 vines in their yards and make, I mean, that's how Screaming Eagle, the famous Screaming Eagle was born in somebody's right. yard. Oh. In a suburban neighborhood. Yeah. That really, yeah. that's how that started. And so this happens right in the middle of wine country in France, too. Small, small people doing something. But having said that, for $19.20, Mark, that is really That's cool. an amazing value. For, for, a, really Price. for a Bordeaux. For a Bordeaux. Yeah. Is there they enough of to... this around, Alex? Yes. They only make 1,000 cases. You know, we made arrangements, so we do have uh, inventory. But what's also worth mentioning, Faith, is that it's a certified organic, and that's yeah. really rare yes, to find right. in Bordeaux. It's been certified since 2010. 
that means you're drinking like the wines we like that are wholesome, they don't have junk in them. They have this organic label right on the front label, which you usually don't see them on the front label. And that is... Smart. Um, Smart to put it on the yeah. front. I like that, that it's organic. It tastes great. I often like a little bit more fruit in my wine, so I was thinking, mm-hmm. And then... In 20 minutes, boom, (laughs) there it was. And it's not that Bing Cherry hit you over the head kind of fruit. It is a very subtle, and I think Mark is right, and Alex too, dark fruits. The dark fruits, for sure. It's almost like bitter chocolate, right? That isn't sweet like a piece of candy, but as it melts, you get a little bit of the fruit, but you also have that structure, right, that you get in dark chocolate. Thanks for finding this, Alex. So this is, if you go online to foodschmooze.org, The label is pictured there, and we'll tell you what to say at your wine store when you call them up. They can't stock everything. The distributor can bring over a few bottles, a case, whatever the store wants to do. Okay, let's go back to those wonderful hacks that we've been talking about from this cookbook, The Kitchen Shortcut Bible. We have co-author Bruce Weinstein here. We have this on the website, so I really want to talk about this. This is microwave pasta carbonara. And I thought, wait a minute. Let me see. Come how, on. how does this happen? Okay. You know how I love carbonara. I mean, you say to yourself, how am I going to make, use dried pasta That's what I don't get. to make a creamy carbonara? Come on. In the microwave. How did you, wait a minute. You cook it in, no, wait. Wait. You heat it in the microwave, no, not cook it no. in the microwave. Okay, so you put the macaroni. You, you're going to use small elbow macaroni here because it will cook faster. You're going to put it in a glass container I like to use like a loaf pan even. Works perfectly. A Pyrex loaf pan with some water in the microwave and it will cook in that water. And if you do it just right, when I do it, I get just enough water to cover the pasta. Between what gets absorbed and what gets evaporated, there shouldn't be much water to drain. So this is five minutes. Yeah, it's five minutes. Then (laughs) you whisk together milk, egg yolks, mustard, thyme, pepper, Canadian bacon, because this way it doesn't have to be sautéed first. Mix that all into the cooked pasta. It gets another couple of minutes in the microwave, stopping to stir it up. The egg yolks cook. The sauce heats up. It's ridiculous. It's the microwave, but you have pasta with some smoky Canadian bacon and an egg yolk sauce, and it's amazing. And no one would know. I want to make this for you a group of people. You don't want to tell them, yeah, though. No, yeah, <laughs> after they taste it. Though. Yeah, After yeah. they taste it, you want to tell them, right? You want to put it right. on the table, say, I made this for everyone. And then after everyone's <laughs> like, wow, that's great. Then you tell them, it was in the microwave. <laughs> yeah. That's so awesome. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of high-end foodies poo-poo the microwave. Like, oh, I don't even oh, have no, one. Oh, of course. Like, I, what, are you kidding? I love it, it. I love my microwave. Me, too. I do the bacon in there when I'm in a rush. In honor Absolutely. of Barbara Kafka. Microwave Gourmet, her cookbook. She very thrilled to have that on the website. Chris and I, in particular, I've never asked you this, Mark. Are you a slow cooker fan? I am. Okay, so I so am. There's a section in here, and it's a slow cooker lasagna with sausage and arugula. I am somebody who puts arugula in a frying pan and sautés it in <laughs> olive oil. Oh, yeah. It's a vegetable yeah. to me. It so is. I am thrilled with this idea. How does this come together? You don't have to cook the lasagna noodles first, and that's the trick here. And because it's in the slow cooker, they're not going to fit exactly, so you break them up. And you make them fit. You have as many pieces whole as you can. You break the rest up to fit in the nooks and crannies. It absorbs the liquid from the sauce. Pasta cooks right in it. 
Then you just scoop it out. Because there's a space between the lasagna mm -hmm. and the roof of the slow cooker, right. you're not getting that dried out thing. Yeah, no, it stays very moist. Inside a slow cooker is a very moist environment. The top of that lasagna stays succulent. See, yeah. I thought I've seen everything, but that's a new one for me. <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah, lasagna, especially this time of year. Oh, yeah, and you can start it before you leave. Uh-huh. You get it all set up, let it cook, and when you get home, you can I have news meal. for you. That's what's dinner tonight. It's going at home right now. All right. Wow. Nice. smell that amazing. I love it. That in. is dinner when I get home tonight. Nice. I just, we're going to get the address right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll be over. I'll bring the wine. Do you guys add any uh, red wine to your lasagna? I don't, and, and Alex. When I do, you in a slow cooker, you'd come home and you'd get that smell of wine as well mm -hmm. when you're cooking with wine. Oh, I'm thinking a little red wine on top. Mm. Oh, am I, I love that smell. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, every once in a while, I go crazy over the Reuben sandwich. If it's on a menu in a deli oh, somewhere, yeah. I think, oh, I haven't had a Reuben sandwich go in a thousand years. Mm -hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this. What do I come to in here but Reuben rolls with spicy hot Russian dip? But wait till you hear what the trick is to this. So these are little deep fried finger shaped rolls. And rather than having to make a dough or buy dumpling wrappers, you take bread and you take a rolling pin and you roll the bread out flat and it becomes dense and it becomes an instant dumpling wrapper. Cut the, the crust off. You take the crust off, you roll the square of bread out flat. And you do rye bread. I use rye bread for this. And then I chop up store-bought corned beef and sauerkraut, put Genius. that in the bread, roll it up. You just wet the ends of the bread. Yeah, it yeah. seals together. What about together, pickle relish? And you remember you oh, put that in yeah. there? Oh, I know. Yep. Yeah. yeah, pickle relish is another thing that I love in there. But you can make the sauce. You could save the pickle relish if you want for the sauce with the mayonnaise and ketchup. So you have this like Thousand Island Russian Dipping dressing. Sauce. And you yeah. put the sauerkraut right in. Uh-huh. The sauerkraut and the corned beef go right into wow. the flattened bread. They fry in just like a minute. How and many you just you roll eat? it. You just roll, roll it up, up and seal the edge. Genius. The way you do with a wonton? The way you would do with a wonton or the egg roll. I love Isn't it. That and you can use smart. any bread. You can use That's any bread. There's idea. a whole series of these kind of rolls and dumplings in the book where I use bread um, instead of dumpling wrappers for little goat cheese hand pies. And I do a potato one with a curry sauce. Does the bread have to be fresh or can you use like bread that you've had in the refrigerator? That you is know that such a great question, Alex. The fresher the bread, the better. Because uh -huh. you want to be able, when you flatten it out... You don't want it to crack, so you don't want dried out bread. You want the mm -hmm. freshest bread you can get. All right, I know what you're waiting for. <laughs> you're waiting to hear about um, the turkey. Of course you are. There's a turkey that you roast in the oven while it is frozen. This is a freezer-to-oven whole turkey. We know what holiday is coming, or the holidays. Mm. Can you imagine, you know, you think about this as a mistake if the turkey is still frozen. This mm. is intentional, where you mean to put a frozen turkey straight from the freezer into the oven. It's on our website right now, foochmoose.org. If you have to thaw a turkey, it's going to have to be done in your refrigerator because, again, the USDA says don't thaw it at room temperature. Mm -hmm. So you're now taking up an entire shelf of your refrigerator for days because mm. that a 20-pound yeah. turkey, a 16-pound turkey, even a 12-pound turkey yeah. is going to take three days yeah, to least. thaw. You have to sanitize your, your refrigerator afterwards, right? Because <laughs> well, you feel like it, there's like yeah. raw turkey exactly. hanging out. <laughs> and I have to say that, you know, a lot of people have fear of getting up on stage or fear of they have nightmares. Oh, I went into a meeting and I was naked. Well, 
I have this fear. It's Thanksgiving morning, and I didn't thaw the turkey, and now everyone's mm-hmm. coming for dinner, and what am I going to do? You can cook it frozen. Now, you have to peel off the wrapper, of course. And that's a given, right? When no one's going to put the turkey in the oven with the plastic wrapper on it. Don't do that. However, I hear you. You're saying there's stuff inside of yeah, it, right? The, the giblets and the all giblets. that are in there. So those have to come out, and they're not going to come out for about the first hour and a half. So oh. after about an hour and a half, you're going to check it. And when you could start to move the skin away and pull those giblets out, do that. And then let it keep going. Figure about 50% more cooking time than if you did it from, That's it. from thawed. Bruce, do you still need to wash the outside of the turkey? In this case, no. Um, you're also not going to season it before it goes in the oven because it's frozen. Nothing's going to stick yeah. to it. Salt won't even stick to it. It'll bounce off. But when you are able to get the giblets out and you really want to get those giblets out, that's a good time to sprinkle some salt and pepper on the turkey and then let it go back. So imagine you were going to do five hours to roast a giant turkey. So this is only seven and a half hours. It's that two and a half hours extra saves you all that trouble of having to take refrigerator room to thaw it. And you know what? That is the magic number. Because think about this, everybody. People are getting up at five o'clock in the morning to get the turkey in so that it comes out at exactly when your Thanksgiving dinner or another holiday dinner is supposed to start. This way, when I hear seven and a half, I think, that's a whole night's sleep. That means <laughs> I could put it in if somebody would take a shift and just pull the, the, the giblets out. It's like, <laughs> it would, I could really do it. How did you come up with this idea? You know, Mark and I were trying to figure out how to cook from the freezer for this book. Cooking frozen stuff is a really important hack. It's an important thing to master. And so we started small, and we figured out how we're going to cook frozen boneless, skinless chicken breasts and steaks from frozen. That all the recipes for doing that's in the book. And we got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I said, well, what would happen if we tried to do a turkey frozen? And we did it. And it just blew us away. And we're like, okay, that's no it. Difference. That's so going in the book. Was there any difference? It was just as delicious, just as brown. You don't have the option of brining it. So if you're someone who likes to brine a turkey, you're not going to be able to do that. But there are plenty of turkeys, especially if you buy turkeys in the supermarket, that have all sorts of pre-basting things in them, that there's stock and even water that's injected into the meat. It keeps it really moist. The Kitchen Shortcut Bible is the name of this cookbook. It is, I think, absolutely terrific. Coming up, we're going to tell you how to roast potatoes, onions, and a chicken in a bunt pan. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers. And for an on-demand podcast, go to foodschmooze.org where you'll find all kinds of recipes, cocktails, wines that we recommend. Foodschmooze.org. And we'll be right back. I just want to freeze right now, now, now. Oh, I just want you and me right now, now, now. Everybody will be eating all the chicken tonight. 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 This is the Food Schmooze Party offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York. New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, the Hamptons. The senior producer is 
Robin Doyen Aiken. And to hear this show on Connecticut Public Radio, it airs Thursdays at 3 and again at 9 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and our curated recommendations are always online waiting to make you happy at foodschmooze.org. Now, here's an invitation as we go to how to do this chicken in a bunt pan. We want to hear from you on Facebook. Do you have a kitchen hack that you love, whether it is using your waffle iron, a regular iron, you know, <laughs> to, to make a sandwich? Power I don't know. Drill. You know, yes, your power drill. <laughs> is there something that you use that makes something easier, faster? It is hard to be as innovative as Mark and Bruce have been with this book, but everybody discovers something in life. And if you have, we would love to hear from you. We'll be watching for these. That's Faith Middleton Food Schmooze on Facebook. How to make a bistro bunt pan chicken with shallots and potatoes. In other words, shallots and potatoes are all in here with the chicken in a single bunt pan. And everything gets crispy. And the way that happens uh-huh. is you use the bunt pan like a vertical roaster. So you turn the chicken so that the feet are facing down and into the pan. And then bunt pans have those lovely little scallop ridges all around. Each one holds a wedge of a potato and a shallot. Then drizzle a little olive oil. You can use butter if you like, salt and pepper. Uh, you let this thing just go in the oven. Everything gets brown. Everything gets delicious. The juices stay in there, and they still flavor everything. We tasted this before the show. Chris made it from scratch. It was so moist and delicious. And we have a picture of how this looks with the recipe at foodschmooze.org. Chris, you said this was just the best time making this. Yeah, and I've roasted thousands (laughs) of chickens. I have never had more fun roasting a chicken in my life. You get the bunt pan out and you kind of look at it inquisitively. You're like, what am I going to do? And you cover the hole with some foil and then you smear some mustard on the chicken, put it on the hole, like, and then you get all the potatoes and shallots in there and you kind to look at it like now I'm gonna put it in the oven everyone's watching me and I'm like this was the most Chris fun has lost and, it. yeah no when it comes out of the oven too everyone's like wow look at that what is that and as delicious as this recipe is I came up with a whole bunch of ways to use a bump ham and chicken so there's a recipe in the book where I take Israeli couscous the little pasta balls oh. and you put them in the bottom of the bun pan with some stocks so they're raw and then you put the chicken in the same way standing up into that mixture Israeli couscous absorbs all the liquids, all the chicken juices, all the chicken fat, and you end up with this savory, almost couscous pudding to serve with the chicken. Oh, boy. Could could you do the same with quinoa? It may not absorb as much liquid as the couscous, Uh so you may end up with a little soupy at the end, so you could just spoon off extra liquid. I was wondering if you could make like a potato or tan, kind of the same idea, pour maybe a little butter and cream on top, but maybe it'll get too juicy you from the chicken. You yeah. see how fun yeah. this see, all butter could be? Like butter and cream. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go buy a bunt pan. I didn't even own one. You didn't now, own a bunt pan? No, what do I need a bunt pan for? Come on, everybody's <laughs> got a bunt pan. You live close well, enough to me, I've got like yeah, four of them. I, just, I have not but, used my bunt pan. You know, it was some anniversary edition thing that looks like, you know, a Nordic castle or something. I have not used I have a non-stick bunt pan. See, that would be good, yeah. too. I can say one yeah. thing. 
thing. I am only going to roast chicken like this from now on. <laughs> you got to try it. It's just so much fun. This is, you know, the minute people hear about this, what's going to happen is all those bunt pans that were at tag sales are going <laughs> to get gobbled. I want to see everybody's pictures of this attempt on Facebook. Faith Middleton Food Schmooze Facebook, of yeah. course. Okay. I think this is <laughs> just, I think idea. this is going to explode. I'm going to do it. I'm going oh, yeah. oh, yeah. to put one up. I'm, I'm trying sure. to think already. Where does the foie gras go? <laughs> <laughs> mm. You know, when something is that much fun, you just have to try it, yeah. I think. So I yeah. think your Facebook idea, Mark, is fantastic. I think I'm going to do it. Give us a smartphone picture of that. I will. So we did one more recipe from the book, though I have much more to talk about. I will get in as much as we can. And that is, Bruce, your porcini and orange braised short ribs. Oh, what a combination. Yeah. That, this is, that sounds delicious. I love beef with orange. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, this is in your make-ahead section. So how does this work? The way the recipes work in this section are really cool because everyone likes to use a slow cooker, but no one has time in the morning before you go to work to actually do it. So... It's like you have this thing that's supposed to help you, but it really doesn't because you have to do so much prep work. So in this section, you make packets, you know, Ziploc bags full of the sauce and the vegetables and the spices. And you keep these in your freezer. Then the morning you want to make it, you peel back the plastic, put the frozen block of slow cooker mixed. You put the fresh meat on top of it, turn your slow cooker on. And you have no work to do. So you didn't have to brown the meat. You can if you want, but you don't have to. And that's the trick here, is that the work is done ahead of time. So what you're going to put into the Ziploc bag in this recipe is broth and pearl onions and baby carrots, raisins, balsamic, orange zest, dried mushrooms, sage, and allspice. It it is the most wonderful thing to make a meal in a slow cooker that you feel is company worthy. Mm. This is one of those recipes, it seems to me, because on the previous weekend, you could do what Bruce is suggesting, where you you chop up all the stuff and put it in those little plastic bags in the freezer. And then even the next weekend or whatever night company's coming, you just put on your slow cooker in the morning. There you go. They come in and that aroma mm-hmm. is there, and then you say, "Look!" and you spooning it out of the slow cooker. Ah, and you don't heaven. have to do anything that morning because you've done it all. And if you keep five or six different bags of sauces in the freezer, you could mix and match any time you want. And the thing is, you should never put frozen meat in a slow cooker, which is why we didn't put the meat into that bag. The meat should always be fresh. And the sauce stuff is frozen, and actually that frozen block of sauce mixture will keep that raw meat at a safe temperature until everything starts to heat up. Mm, So great. You do this in the morning. You'd set the table the night before, and then you'd have your friends just meet right after work. You know, at 6 o'clock, meet at my house, and everything would be done. You'd walk in. They could almost follow you in. You'd turn the key, and your house smells good. The table's set, and dinner's already cooked. Pop the cork and pour the wine. Well, Alex, you're setting the table the night before. That tells us all you don't have a cat. No, it's, 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 if you have a cat, you don't sit the table the before ever. Well, those, the hairs are garnished. I'm oh. thinking more like shattered crystal. Oh. Oh. I forget cats like to walk up on stuff, huh? That is they so do. funny. Does your cat do that? I used to have a cat if the cat would always be on a table, so no, you could never set the table in advance. Funny. Oh. And the dog I, eats the slow cooker. There you go. Here, here, here is um, something that I'm always afraid to do, is to make confit 
in any device. What you scares know? you? Tell me, tell me what you're scared. I, it's think. just I think, oh, it seems like so many steps, and I come upon this in your book, poaching tuna mm-hmm. in olive oil in the slow cooker, yeah. and I have tuna confit, yeah. and I thought, no, it can't be this easy. Well, the thing about confit is you're basically poaching in fat, whether it's duck leg quarters, chicken leg quarters, or fish. And you want it at the lowest possible temperature. So when I confit the old-fashioned way, I set my oven at 170 degrees, which is like barely even warm, and it'll go all day. Well, the nice thing is your slow cooker on low is only a few degrees higher than that. It's still lower than a simmer. So you're going to put the oil in your slow cooker, and you need, for the fish, you need about a quart, because you'll want to make sure the fish is submerged. So extra virgin olive oil, but not fancy. Yeah. When you get real fancy stuff, you pay for all those overtones of flavors and subtlety. Mm-hmm. That's unnecessary here. You're going to put herbs in there. You're going to put some fresh uh, rosemary in there. You're going to put garlic in there, salt and pepper. And then you submerge the tuna steaks. And that goes on low until they're cooked through. They're just luscious and unctuous. And if you ever had really, really good... Italian canned tuna and olive oil. Mm-hmm. That's what this is mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. The stuff you can't get in this country. And it costs Spain. a fortune. Yeah. Right. And uh, Chris had a great idea for the oil. We were talking earlier about this because the oil will take on a fishy quality. Chris had said, well, can I use that? And I thought, you know, you can keep it in the refrigerator for about a week. And if you're making a Caesar dressing, you don't even need anchovies. You could use that oil as some of the olive oil. Half of the olive mm. can be that. And you're adding yeah. a fishiness to the dressing, which is what you want in a season. Or if yeah. you were doing a niçoise salad, sure. you could do that too. Oh, use the same oil. Mm-hmm. So you say it lasts a week. I wouldn't keep them on the weekend. I would keep them in the fridge. For sure, yes. Yeah. It's <laughs> you could freeze it, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, oil freezes. I okay. suppose you could, sure. Yeah. We'll take a baguette and you take that tuna with the oil, the mm. olive oil, and you'd actually drizzle the olive oil on the baguette and that with thinly sliced tomato and that mm. beautiful... I say Spanish tuna mm-hmm. on top, roll that in, in foil and bring that to work. That is the greatest sandwich. And the bread mm. absorbs oh. all the oil mm. and just gets better. Oh, and you do a sprinkle of kosher salt so you get a little bit of that crunch. Mm-hmm. That is heaven to me. Oh, that's mm. good. Wow. I would probably add some shaved red onion or shallot to it as yeah. well. Mm. Mm, okay, so sounds... you know what we have to get to? There's so many things I wish I could get to <laughs> in here. But we have to do some dessert. Absolutely have to do dessert. So that the putting in a microwave mug... <laughs> That's so great because you can make one or you can make two, you know, because how often have you found yourself after dinner, you're watching a movie, you go, oh, I wish I had some chocolate pudding. But you know if you'd made it, you're going to make like a pot of it and then you're either going to eat it all and feel miserable yourself or you're not going to make it because it makes too much. (laughs) So I figured, why can't I just make them one at a time in the microwave? I just whisk together, you know, milk and sugar and cocoa. Rather than, because a whole egg is too much, because a whole egg would make four or six (gasps) servings, Uh the trick here is use like egg beaters, the pasteurized egg substitute. It acts just, it is egg, it's just mostly egg whites. And by mixing that in, you get the richness, you get the egg quality, and you don't have to break a whole egg and use only a bit of it. I just discovered that Pete and Jerry's Mm -hmm. is doing an organic egg beater type thing. It didn't look like it had all those chemicals. Well, well, that's a great thing. So it was good to know. Because a whole egg is about four tablespoons or large egg when you beat it. And this recipe to make one serving of chocolate pudding needs one tablespoon of egg. So it was a great idea. 
Faith is in a section of the book that I call What to Do with Melted Ice Cream. How come Bruce didn't bring bring this for us to try? Um, This is a butter pecan bread pudding. Yeah, that's And you make it with, because ice cream Mm -hmm. has all the stuff already in it. Tell us how you do it. Ice cream has dairy. Ice cream often has eggs. Ice cream has sugar. So we came up with a bunch of recipes that use melted ice cream. We make this butter pecan bread pudding by mixing that in with the diced up bread and baking it. We also do a pound cake that is nothing but melted ice cream and self-rising flour. So you can take (laughs) melted ice cream and have that be your shortcut to dessert. Mm -hmm. That is so easy and so delicious. Yeah, think about... You know, the eggnog. First, you're going to use melted ice cream. (laughs) You don't have to worry about speeding home from the supermarket. In fact, you want it to melt. So then you're going to do your eggnog from the melted ice cream. And then you're going to make cakes from it. it. Just pour it in a glass. A little bourbon. Oh, I love it. Perfect. What are we having? Ice cream, melted ice cream. You know, and you could could just call it a cold strawberry soup. Melted strawberry ice cream in the summer. Just tell people you're serving a cold strawberry soup for dessert. That's a great idea. And it's melted ice cream. These ways of figuring out how to do desserts quickly is one of my favorite things. And you do a cookie. I have a cookie that uses the ready-made pie dough that comes in the refrigerator section in the supermarket. And it's almost like making super quick rugelach. You spread it with jam and sugar and chocolate chips and roll it up. And then you make the sliced (laughs) spirals. It takes no time. I, I can't it. have those in the house because I will eat them oh, no. all, yeah. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying keep them in the house. That's another whole story. <laughs> you bring them somewhere is what you do. Well, I have neighbors with two little boys. So when oh. I was testing recipes for this book, they ate everything. Uh, having, there you go. I loved having two little kids living next door oh. because they would just... They'll eat everything. Oh, I bet. And they're miniature gourmet <laughs> they're, people they're now. They're becoming it. As you can tell, we've really devoted the entire show pretty much <laughs> to this. This is just terrific. And there's more. Amazing book. <laughs> really is an amazing book. <laughs> and there's book. more online. We've got five recipes from this book. You can tell we like this. The Kitchen Shortcut Bible, created by our guest, Bruce Weinstein, and his co-author, Mark Scarborough. They happen to also be from Connecticut, so that's an added treat. And if you want to see the five recipes and find out more about this book, go to foodschmooze.org. Did everybody have fun? Oh, Oh, yes. Beginning to end. (laughs) Thank you. We are on. You're welcome. Thank you. We're on Connecticut Public Radio Thursdays at 3 and 9 and Saturdays at noon on weekdays. I hope you'll listen for my 60-second food schmoozes. Never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Hey, don't want the party to end? Well, neither do we. Talk with us anytime online at foodschmooze.org.